Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, Today I get to continue the series on the characteristics of a godly family. And we're going to be looking at the characteristics of acceptance. And for this, we're going to look into the the story of Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. This is a great story. It's, It's a really powerful story. And for many of you, it'll be quite a familiar story. In fact, sometimes maybe too familiar Because we can make assumptions from the title that we know what the message is that's coming through. And when we do that, we miss, or we can miss some of the depth, the beauty, and the powerful fundamental teachings that can speak right into your identity. So I just want to start with urging you to hear it afresh, to have open ears and open hearts. Because I genuinely believe, and we've seen it happening already today, that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in here today. That he wants to minister to people. He wants to heal old wounds and transform lives. But before I do that, I want to share a little bit about um, the journey that Jonathan, my husband, and I are going on just now. um, With the support of our children, Amy and Lucas, who are kind of growing up now, 18 and 20. 18 and 20, Um, uh, we're stepping out and we've decided to go again and adopt. Uh, We're fairly well down this process and in the last couple of weeks we've been doing some adoption training. Uh, While we were on our adoption training, um, they shared with us a story and a demonstration. It was so powerful that I, I want to share that with you now. So I'm going to invite Charlie up. You might have to do a little bit of kind of you know, conceptualizing here. Charlie's going to be here. This is Charlie. Charlie's four years of age. <laughs> and we've got his father, Rob. I'm going to just pick on some people. I apologize, Matt. You're right at the front. <laughs> Over here. You'll be fine. I'm just going to give a bit of string from Rob to Charlie. If you could hold that, Charlie, that'd be great. Now, Rob is Charlie's dad, and Rob is an alcoholic, and he often gets, <laughs> you would have believed that of Matt, um, he often gets angry and verbally abusive to Charlie and his older brother, Liam. Let's find an older brother for Don. (laughs) Now, Liam is 13. And then we also have Charlie's mum, Sally. (laughs) You're sitting on the front row. You're kind of asking for it. (laughs) Can I just give you this to to connect with mum? With Charlie, sorry. There's Sally. Sally, you need a bit of string if you just connect with. These are all the people that are in. Everybody's connecting with Charlie. These are all the people that are in Charlie's life. Now, Sally has her own problems. Sally um, suffers from. (laughs) (laughs) Sally suffers from severe depression. Um, She is, uh, along with that, she has other mental health problems issues she also struggles 
with the fact that um, Rob is an alcoholic and can be abusive and destructive in the home. So Sally will spend long periods of time in bed um, and uh, neglecting Liam and Charlie. Have I got a Liam? <laughs> I forgot about you, Liam. I feel like I've just rejected him. That's a bad start. And then um, Rob has got a brother, and Rob's brother is called Dan. <laughs> oh, we've got an actual Dan. Whoa, come on. <laughs> Come on down, Dan. <laughs> it's okay, Andrew, I won't mess you out. Now, Dan tries to help out by taking Charlie and Liam. You need to come a bit closer, closer Dan. Dan tries to help out by taking Charlie and Liam to his house and looking after them. But Dan's got his own children. Sorry, Rosie, you didn't know this. Um, <laughs> and his, his wife doesn't really like having the children around. Um, fortunately, Charlie's also got Gran. Come on, Andrew. This is a non-speaking part. <laughs> oh, and the name of all that's holy. Thank you. <laughs> if you could just connect to Charlie. There you go, Gran. Now, Gran... <laughs> Gran tries to help out as well, but Gran's old. <laughs> and... Is often sick. She finds it really difficult to to handle two young and kind of you know playful and excitable boys. So social services get involved. Come on, Sarah Ellen. And in social services, the heart is to try and just reunite. You need to go and connect to Charlie. If you go over the head and forward, that's it. Go right forward, that's it. So social services want to, to, to um, keep the family together and, and they try everything that they can to try and um, work with this family. But unfortunately, unfortunately, a decision is made to put Charlie into up for adoption. And so Charlie gets adopted. Rich, please. <laughs> Boss. Um, <laughs> If you could go forward of Charlie, that'd be lovely. So Charlie gets adopted and, and Liam gets put into foster care. So they're split up. And uh, you know, everybody that is on this, this course are you know, prospective adoptive parents. If you just go away, the, the people that are being cut. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> and when they cut the, the, the ties from this child, 
leaving only a social worker and adoptive parent with no understanding that they're not going to disappear out their lives as, as well. We had people just breaking down in tears. This is what rejection looks like. It's just mess, grot. It's no certainty that anybody that comes into your life is going to be there for good. Thanks, guys. You want to sit down? Charlie was left holding just a bunch of loose ends, representing the whole grot, rejection that comes with having people ripped out of your life. And those two connections that were remaining, he had no certainty that they'd be around long either. The whole rejection thing's massive, isn't it? We all desire to fit in, to be accepted, and the pain of rejection is crippling and it can touch every area of our lives. We can't talk about acceptance with first, without first understanding and recognising the complete pain, devastation and far-reaching consequences of rejection. We're just going to pray and then I'm going to read from Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. Father God, we just, we just thank you that you accepted us. We thank you that you have come into our lives. Lord God, we pray that we have open ears and open hearts today to learn from you. And Father, we pray for, we pray for all those children out there that have suffered rejection, that don't know you, Lord. We pray for, for families. We pray for a knowledge of you, Lord. In your almighty name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put his man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you have to make. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on, on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So the question that prompted the story that Jesus told 
asked by the expert of the law was, who is my neighbor? Who should I accept into my life? Who are these people that I need to love? Basically, he wanted to know what the cost was to him. So the first character that Jesus introduces in the story is the fallen man. Q. Brian is the fallen man. This man has come from Jerusalem. <laughs> the road is treacherous and hot. It's difficult terrain. It's very steep and rocky. And it's 18 miles long. <laughs> the journey starts 2,500 feet above sea level. And it continues over difficult ground <laughs> to Jericho's depth, some 825 feet below sea level. And depending on the time of year, there might be torrents of water rushing down the valley below. And this just adds to the danger that the man experiences. Just from the journey alone, the man is tired. He's weary. He's spent. He's got little energy left. And probably, <laughs> and probably when he's at his lowest point energy wise, he's attacked. He's robbed, he's beaten, and he's left for dead without hope. He, he most certainly will die. He needs a rescuer. He needs a savior. And our lives can sometimes feel like that, can't they? There are times when we experience times where we just feel beaten, where we just feel without hope, where we just feel that we cannot go on because we've no energy left. And perhaps even now you're sitting here and you're looking at the man lying here and you can see something of yourself in him. So as the man is lying there, along comes a priest. And it says in the Bible that he traveled the same path. So he too must have been tired. He too must have been weary. It's most likely that the, this person lying here is, is a Jewish person himself. And the priest knows the law. He knows what he's supposed to do. But he's tired. He's weary. He's not willing to sacrifice his own needs, his own comfort, and his own resources for this man. He's probably kind of a bit of a distance off when he sees him. And he might even look at him and think, he might be dead. I don't know if he's dead or not. And, and at the time, if that was the case, it would mean if he touched a dying man, he would, ha he would be ceremonially unclean. And it would take him seven days to go through all the kind of processes and, and the, the things that he needed to go, go through to make him ceremonially clean again. Which meant he would spend seven days not in the temple. 
So he walked away. And he's probably in his head at the time, giving himself lots of excuses of why he shouldn't go to help. How must this guy feel? He probably saw the priest coming from a way off. He got his hopes up that rescue was close, only to have them dashed again as he's rejected by this priest, this holy man. And it'd be easy to stand in condemnation, wouldn't it? This is a priest. This is a holy man. Actually, this man is as much a need of a saviour as a man dying on the ground. The law can't save him any more than it can save this man here. His heart hasn't been changed by law. So the next person that came along was a Levite, a descendant of Levi, part of the the reign of Jacob. Again, a man who should be fully conversant with the law. A man that should know that you put human life above all else. Perhaps he would stop. Perhaps he'll come and help the dying man. And he doesn't have the same issues as the priest in terms of um, being kept out of the temple for seven days. It wouldn't have the same effect, the same impact. But he walks on by. He does the same thing. He walks on by. Again, the law is not written in his heart. The law is in his head. He's no compassion for the man that's lying there. So again, the hopes of this man have been dashed. He must be close to death by this point. He's been rejected again for the second time by the people that should be there to, to save him, by his fellow Jewish neighbours. In 2007, I think Brian's going to sleep. Um, <laughs> In 2007, um, my, my children and I, Amy and Lucas, uh, went to Australia to visit my mum who lives out there. One day we were on a car journey and we had a tyre blowout and the car skidded, went off the road and sort of straddled across a ditch. We were in the middle of the outback. We'd been, it's about three, three hours to our, our destination. We'd already driven two hours and the, the land was fast, dry and parched. You know, it was in the middle of the outback. And we needed a saviour. We needed a rescuer. Unfortunately, we played the kind of weak woman card. And we sat for nearly an hour and didn't see a single car go by. And then in the, on the horizon, in the distance, we saw one coming. And we got really, really excited. We'd been praying and we were like, oh, thank God, thank God. There's somebody coming towards us. And it, so the car neared towards it. We saw it, saw it slowing down. And that real sense of dread that I was beginning to feel, that, that sense of concern that we were going to be stranded, that it was getting to be night time, we don't know what was going to come out at that time of night, began to lift. But as the car got closer, and it, it's slowing down at this point, it got closer, there was a bunch of young lads in the car. And as they came towards us, they were laughing and making kind of gestures towards us. And just as they got towards us, they sped up, hooting their horn, laughing and driving away. We felt completely helpless, 
completely hopeless and really terrified. And it's probably how the dying man's feeling now. He's probably beginning to lose any hope of being rescued. I mean, fortunately for us, within about 15 minutes of that happening, God sent us a saviour. This man drew up. It turns out he knew my mum and he was able to help and put the tire back on. And the amazing thing was that he'd planned to stay the night with a friend, but something prompted him to get up and drive home. And pr- He's obviously not that dead, he just spoke. Um, and praise God that he did. But the saviour comes with the dying man too. He comes in the form of a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. And the race came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel. Certain people from the nation of Israel stayed behind and they intermarried with the Assyrians producing Samaritans. Now the rule was that Samaritans had no dealing with the Jews. Remember that conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman? She said to Jesus, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan? It just didn't happen. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And yet this man saw him lying, beating, beaten, dying. And the Samaritan man who was hated and despised by the Jewish people ended up being the saviour for this Jewish man. Where the people of the law failed, the compassion of the Samaritan succeeded. The Samaritan came up close to the dying man, entered into his pain, entered into his mess, got down to his need, and he paid the price for the mess that this man had got himself into. The Samaritan didn't reject the dying man. He accepted him. He was his enemy. He was broken. He was downtrodden. He was probably dirty. He was covered in blood. But he was, had compassion for him and sacrificed much for him. Thanks, Brian. You can come now. <laughs> Do you want to give me a call? <laughs> This story should teach us more than just what it means to be a good Samaritan. At the very centre of the story is Christ our Saviour. Without understanding that, we run the risk of relying on the law and not on Jesus. So the major thing that we need to understand from this story is Jesus accepts you. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them Jesus accepts you. Pete, Jesus accepts you. So central to our understanding of the acceptance of others is to understand that Jesus is love and acceptance of us. And some of you don't know that. Some of you are still trying to earn what God has given freely. Jesus accepted the lepers, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the dumb. He interacted with women, believe it or not. 
some with questionable reputations, ignoring the religious regulations of the day. He spent time with adulterers, tax collectors, and he even forgave those who came to execute him. Jesus' love, forgiveness, and acceptance is and was available to all. Romans 5.8 tells us God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The, revelations of God's, the revelation of God's love, the understanding that he loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for us in all our mess, in all our sinfulness, shouldn't need to lead to law. It should lead to a closer relationship with him. God is the creator and you are his creation. He breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. He created you in his image. His eyes saw your unformed substance. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which for some of us is more than others. (laughs) And before a word is spoken on your tongue, he knows it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves and accepts you. And when you accepted Jesus into your life, it meant that your identity is in Christ. And it's as this, that you're, as you're in Christ, that you're accepted and beloved children of God. As Romans 8 so eloquently puts it, nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate you from the wonderful love of God. So the expert in the law asks, Who's my neighbor? He he wanted the law to clarify this point, to put limits on it, so that he could find out what is it exactly that I've been called to sacrifice. But as we understand that we are loved, that we are accepted by God, and recognize that God's love and acceptance is for everyone, it becomes clear that our neighbor is everyone. Our neighbour is every single person sitting in this room and every single person that's not in this room. The story sees a Jewish man rejected by his own people. The priest and the Levite probably consider themselves good, God-fearing people. They follow the law. They probably paid their tithe. They showed compassion and help to people in the midst of their busy lives. It's so easy to be like the Levite and the priest and only scratch the surface of what we've been called to do. Perhaps if the problem is a flat tire, they might have came and helped. They might have given up 30 minutes of their time. I mean, we'll suspend that they didn't have cars in those days. They might have given up 30 minutes of time to come and help. But this man was a mess. This wasn't a 30-minute job. To help him would mean sacrifice. It would mean getting down into the grot and the rubbish of his life. It would mean being in it for the long haul. It would mean suspending their own plans, giving of their own resources. It would mean getting the hands dirty. We need to learn that accepting people doesn't mean just letting them in through the doors of the church. Part of my role here at All Nations is to coordinate the conferences. Did we all enjoy the conference last week? 
fantastic. And I'm so blessed to have this amazing team that kind of helps out with that. Part of what you have to do is kind of liaise with all the different people, liaise with the worship team, the children's team, sound. I, I sit down with Kimberly and um, work out refreshments and decor. Didn't she do an amazing job? Yeah. Make her a clap. <laughs> I work with Andy Ardley on publicity and the booking system. And one of the ongoing challenges that we have is getting people booked into the event. Getting them to book in early, getting them to book in in a timely fashion. And I must confess, this sometimes makes me cross. It may, I can get quite vocal about it. Last week, just a few days before the conference, um, we only had 100 people book in. We had 100, more than 100 book in after the first few days. But having listened to Dave Devonish last week, I need to apologise. My Western viewpoint puts organisation above relationship. I fell into the trap of inviting diversity in, then complaining when people don't conform to my expectations of cultural norms. So if you booked in at the last minute, then I'm sorry for my bad attitude. Please forgive me. If we really want to be a church that accepts everyone, then we need to do three things. We need to recognise we're accepted. And I've said that already, but it's that important that I'm going to say it again anyway. You need to hear this. Every one of us at some time can relate to that man on the floor, that beaten up and bruised man, broken and left for dead. But now we are alive in Christ. In 2007, for the first time, I met with God. It was such a powerful and overwhelming experience. I knew immediately that God loved me. And I understood that Jesus had died for me. But what I still couldn't get my head around, is through Christ I was accepted. And that meant I tried really hard. I tried to live up to what I believed a good Christian should do. It was painful and difficult because no matter how hard I tried, I messed up. I, I fell short of the glory of God. But thankfully, through the Holy Spirit and the work of some amazing friends, I came to understand that through Christ, I am an accepted child. I'm hidden in Christ. And in by the grace of God, I'm becoming more and more like Christ every day. As I allow the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me. We're all on a journey with that. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we change day by day, degree by degree into the likeness of Christ. So understanding that you are accepted is crucial to your identity. Think of Charlie. Without Christ in his life, everything that he understood made up who he was. Every family member, every home that he was in, every friend that he's had, even his family name were ripped away from him, leaving him fearful, rejected and without security. It's so important to get this, to understand that love, the love and the acceptance of God to understand your kinship, to understand that you are a son and a daughter of the king. 
So when we get that bit, we can move on to the next bit, which is get your hands dirty. The priest and the Levite, and indeed the man of the law, who asked the question at the start of the parable, knew the law. They probably followed the letter of the law, tithing, doing good, following all the rituals that the law demanded. But if they didn't love people, if they didn't accept people, if their heart wasn't broken for people, then it's all meaningless. It's just all meaningless. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, If I give all my possessions to the poor and give my, my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. And getting your hands dirty means getting involved in people's lives. Look around you. In this church, we have people fighting cancer. We have sickness. We have marriages that are struggling. We have people that are lonely and on the edge. We have people that need your support because they are struggling to even get to church. We have people that are struggling with different challenges. And it's not enough just to invite people into the church. We need to invite them into our lives too. David and Gaynor Sessions have relaunched Come Down With You at Church. Their heart is to bring together diversity, to allow people to build relationships who wouldn't normally connect together. And I really urge you to get involved with this. It's through relationships that we get to speak into people's lives, that we get to support them and love them just where they're at. So who's your neighbour? These are your neighbour. And that's even before we open the doors of the building. My final point is, be prepared to sacrifice. Dave Devonish told us to be demonstrably welcoming and accepting to everyone. Last week, Richard talked to asked you if you were in. Are you on the journey with us in what the Holy Spirit is doing? I I think the conference was amazing from start to finish. I I loved the worship. I loved the teaching. I loved the atmosphere and I loved the real sense of family together. And I guess my question to you again is, are you in? Because if you are, you need to know that you've got to come in with your eyes wide open. You need to understand that you will be called to sacrifice Accepting people, everyone into God's kingdom comes with a price. You need to prepare your hearts, your lives, and your resources. But the priest and the Levite reaching out, accepting, getting into the midst, midst of the mess of his fellow Jew was just a step too far. It was a sacrifice too far for them. They just walked on past. What would it take for you to walk on past too? When you became a Christian, you gave your life to Jesus. We called to be living sacrifices. We called to hold lightly the things of the world. We are released by law to have our hearts changed by grace. So truly accepting people from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, with all their different needs and issues, with their problems, will take a great sacrifice a great risk, and a lot of courage. Acceptance costs. The Samaritan man felt the cost and the sacrifice when he helped the dying man. 
Jesus paid the ultimate cost as he was dis- beaten, despised and tortured, hung on the cross, carrying the weight for our sin and shame. And he did that to fully accept you. And yet it was a price that he was willing to pay. What cost would you pay for your neighbor? Do you know when we came in today, my temptation was to give you all a number and make you sit in different seats so that you were with somebody um, that you didn't know. Because we often come into church, don't we, and we sit down in the same old place with the same old people and then we wonder why we're not meeting different people. We're not getting into the lives of people that aren't like us. When I came in this morning, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Pete. Um, Pete, who is an amazing guy, God has worked, done some amazing stuff in his life. Uh, Pete used to be on the streets. He's now got himself into a, um, a bungalow in Putno. He's just so full of hope and so full of excitement about what God is doing and about how his life has changed. But Pete came in and he was sitting in the corner on his own. I, I love you, Pete. You're absolutely amazing, and I'm so for you. But guys, we need to get around people. If we genuinely want people's, if we genuinely want people's lives to change, then we need to get into the mess with them. Would you like to stand? Acceptance is something that I've struggled with massively as I was growing up. Even after accepting Jesus, I still struggled to believe that I was worthy of that acceptance. I've been rejected by some key people in my life and as a result, kept people at arm's length. And I'm so, so thankful to the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit in that area. And you want to come up, please? You just close your eyes for a while. Are people here today for whom that's still an issue? Who have suffered the pain of rejection? Who struggle to feel accepted? And maybe even struggle to feel accepted in this church and by this church family. And if that is you, I am so, so truly sorry. We want to welcome everyone and accept everyone. Like I said right at the start, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do something here today. He wants to break that hold that you have. He wants to release you and let you know that you are accepted and loved. So if that's you, I invite you down to the front. That's a a scary and a risky place to be, isn't it? But I believe that there's a God who wants to accept you into his life. So come forward because we want to pray for you. Our heads tell us that the idea of a church where we're all made welcome, where we're prepared to get down into the mess and the grot of each other's lives, where we love and accept our neighbours as ourselves, where we meet, put the needs of others ahead of our own is a worthy thing to strive for. But maybe in our hearts, like the Levite, like the priests, we're a little bit less willing Maybe there are things of the world that we're still holding on to too tightly. Maybe you want to be in, but you're just genuinely scared about the cost that that's going to bring. 
Let the Holy Spirit minister to that now. I invite you to come forward afresh and allow God to deal with some of that heart for stuff.